Before we get going this week, I thought I'd just remind you that I'm a certified business strategist who's been in property for over 25 years. I know my clients shortcut their success by being laser focused through strategy and mentoring, as no one business model fits us all because funding, geography, skill set, it all plays a part in deciding what works for you. Getting it wrong can definitely damage your wealth. If you're serious about property, then your first step is a call with me. Nothing more difficult than following the link in the show notes to book it. This is the Property Solopreneur podcast and I'm Rachel Troughton. I'll be talking about everything you need to create wealth by building your portfolio in a sustainable and profitable way. I'll be sharing the realities of a property investing business. I'll talk bricks and mortar, buy to let, HMOs, flipping and planning game, as that's what we all enjoy doing. But I'll also share how to use good systems, processes and find the right professionals to work with. In fact, everything that will enable you to become a successful property solopreneur. Welcome to this week's episode of the Property Solopreneur. Um, Today, I'm talking to Jane Scroggs, who's the founder of Beam Virtual Property Support, who are a team of UK-based virtual assistants who specialise in supporting property investors. Now, the reason I thought it'd be interesting to talk to her is that most of us who come into property only hear the word property. We don't hear the word business that comes up behind. And where there is a business, there is going to be emails, a lot of them, and a phenomenal amount of paperwork. Everything we do in property has some paperwork behind it. And that may not be your zone of genius. You may be drowning in the stuff. So Jane is coming on today to talk to us about what VAs do, how they can help us, and why, frankly, we should all have one. Well, good morning, Jane, and thank you so much for coming to talk to me this morning about who you are and what you do and why it's so essential, really, for property entrepreneurs and solopreneurs to really get to grips with this whole concept of VAs and what they do. So let's start off with just you introducing yourself. Well, thank you very much for having me, Rachel. So my name is Jane Scroggs and I'm the founder of Beam Virtual Property Assistance, virtual property support. So we provide um, UK-based property virtual assistants. We specialise in the UK property industry And all of our team are really experienced in property. So that might be from an agency background, from a development background, or many years supporting investors and property developers, or maybe they've even got their own own portfolio. So yeah, we work with typically property investors based in the UK that might have a portfolio of, say, 25 units plus. We kind of specialise mostly in the property management side of things. Thank you, because one of the things that I've noticed very recently in my accountability calls is that VAs, it's a phrase that everyone throws about. You know, you're not anybody in property or as an entrepreneur unless you've got a VA. So what is the definition, full stop, of a VA? Well, I guess the, the definition would be somebody who provides remote business, remote business admin support, but more general. Um, so a VA, I mean, VAs really, they come in different categories. So you've got virtual assistants, maybe overseas virtual assistants, typically from the Philippines, and you've got UK-based virtual assistants. Now, typically they're general, you know, they help with all kinds of admin, you know, whether that's email management, um, setting you up with, I don't know, 
different tasks, task management systems, helping with your day-to-day, your calendar, um, your diary scheduling. Or you get more specialised virtual assistants, um, I guess, like us, where we focus on one industry. So anyone really who is not working in the office with you, <laughs> supports you with your admin, it's a general term, but that's typically what, what they are. It is a general term, isn't it? And I, th- I think that's where people also get very lost because because you're an entrepreneur, particularly solo entrepreneurs, you don't want to have somebody sitting at your desk or at your kitchen table every single day, you know, like a little bird, waiting a for you to give them something to do and secondly to pay them. So there is this concept that you can just have a VA somewhere and it, things will happen. But it's the quality, isn't it, of, of the kind of work you give them and what yes. you expect back. So that makes... Um, quite a difference. Now, I know you did 10 years of working as executive assistants to CEOs and the big cheeses. <laughs> so you <laughs> you must have seen just how important the, the backroom stuff really is. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, I think really, we'll go back to the term virtual assistant, because the world is so virtual now, and you, you are able, you know, it's so easy to plug in. I mean, I live in Barcelona, and I, I, I um, that's the reason. Oh, why you're I, living the dream, aren't I, you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is the reason I became a virtual assistant, so that I could I could be here and actually connect back with my industry, my contacts, the area that I love, but still work remotely. So, so really, if you think about it from an old school way of, of having a personal assistant in the office, so as a, a business owner or founder generally had someone to do their, their admin, their secretary, um, so really a virtual assistant is that person who provides the support, the um, makes everything run smoothly in the background. And that's what I did for, for yeah, many years. I was based in London, I was based in Monaco, supporting property entrepreneurs in the commercial property sector with residential mixed in two. And so I really saw the importance of like what it means to support somebody to make their life easier, to think ahead, to um, just really just smooth situations. Well, that's a very interesting point, thinking ahead. You see, and I think so many people fail in property or as entrepreneurs because they don't realise that it's a business and a business operates a bit like an iceberg. There's more under the surface than there is on the top. And you must see through your work that many quite successful entrepreneurs and property entrepreneurs it all looks fabulous but when you look behind the scenes it looks as if a grenade's gone off in their in their office <laughs> I love that I'm getting used to that myself in my in my, in my, in my pitch now you're so right because what I found and actually I was speaking about this the other day business property investors don't often see their business as a business until yes I don't know what the tipping point is. I think it's when they start to get really stressed with admin and then they think, right, I need to get some help. They don't look at it from a, oh, right, I'm growing a business. And I think I, sometimes this is a maybe a female thing more than a male thing, but I think it's, it's well, I'm going to see how it goes. I'm going to buy a few properties. Oh, wow, okay, this is going well. This is going well. I'm loving this. Oh, well, the admin's building up. The admin's building up. Oh, I need some help there. <laughs> And people, people are very good at delegating on site. You know, they know how to employ a plumber and, a, you know, a chippy, get people in to do different bits. But actually, when it comes to the business side, people just become really crippled with letting go and delegating. And they just, they don't see it as a business. And that's when, you know, and to be honest, I've experienced this in my own business because I started out as one person, doing it on my own, started to get lots of clients, which, you know, you can kind of class as properties if you're comparing. 
need some help, right? Got to delegate. And now I've got people, a team looking after my clients. And, you know, I feel the pain. So I can see exactly what it's like trying to create a business and something that you just kind of started. Yes. And I think that's very true. You've put your finger on that is that people who know nothing about property world are often in corporate or doing something completely different for someone else. And they may go to a weekend seminar or they read something and they think, oh, you know, property, that's definitely going to make my fortune. It's the way to financial freedom, all the things we know. And they go along and they go to mentoring somewhere and it's all about the property. It's all about finding and and all the rest of it. But what they don't realise, I mean, I remember going uh, to Susanna's house years and years ago. I just hit that weekend right when literally the kitchen table, which was quite big, just had piles of paper all the way around because each pile was a property that needed to be remortgaged. And people just don't seem to realise that as you grow and scale, the one thing that you can do quite easily, which is just get a mortgage or remortgage one thing, that's multiplied on a huge scale as well. And if you're not careful, all your hard work will just disappear because you haven't, you've missed the deadline, you've done something wrong. So therefore, the the whole entrepreneurial thing needs to realise that it's a business and business means paper, which Unless you're really gifted in that department, and I have to say, having had secretaries before myself, it, these are people who understand bits of paper. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it is a skill. It's a zone of genius, frankly. And we shouldn't be ashamed of trying to find someone in our business if we don't mind. We, we don't want to do the plumbing ourselves. Why should we try and do something else? Yeah, that's so true, actually. It's so true. Because I think even property, in my experience, I would say 90, 95% of those people are quite creative, visionary type of people. Mm. They love the vision of developing. They love the deal. They love the finding the property. Right move is just like, oh, I love right move. You know, they, they would <laughs> they'd do it in their sleep if they could. But yeah, you're right. Admin is something that some people are really passionate about. <laughs> they love it, you know, and some of my team are like that. They they love um, spreadsheets. They love to just do that admin. They love small tasks. They love calling utility companies. You know, and that's not everyone's cup of tea. Oh, I, yeah, I p- poke pins in my eyes, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it shouldn't be because you can't you can't do everything, and you shouldn't do everything. And like you said, you know, you wouldn't hire your own, you wouldn't do your own plumbing, would you? Unless you know, well, you shouldn't do your own plumbing unless you're, unless you're a qualified <laughs> plumber. Absolutely. <laughs> um, uh, yes, and I think I think that's people don't when they start off, they don't realise that if. If they've got a dream that they're going to build a serious portfolio or a serious business, they put the numbers in about, yes, they want to do X number of of flips a year and whatever. But they forget that actually that every single time you scale a bit, you're going to create more paperwork. And so along a lot of paperwork, isn't it? And alongside, you know, building your teams for property, you need to build in more people to do the admin. And I know it's a cliche, everyone goes, well, the first hiring you've got to do is a bookkeeper. Well, I always found the bookkeeping relatively simple and straightforward, you know, because most of us, especially now we've got zero and things. I mean, (laughs) how much simpler can it be? And then the accountant does the big top stuff. But it's the, as you say, the everyday stuff. And as you scale, when is that gas ticket due? This is it. This is it, Rachel, because what I see a lot is property investors who um, they start losing track of compliance. They don't know when their guest safety certificate is due or their EICR. I mean, that's obviously five years. That's a little bit 
put more time. Oh, but that, yes, but then you say that's five years ago, you've forgotten about that house because it should now just be earning money and doing nothing else. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> um, you know, insurance on, on your property, fire, you know, safe checks, household checks, you know, in HMOs. There's so many things that people lose track of. Yes. And obviously mortgage, you know, mortgage, you know, sudden panic. Oh my God, I haven't got, what am I going to do? I need to get all my, you know, profit and loss together or my, my income statement, et cetera, whatever you would need or the broker might ask for. And of course, that actually stops you going out on site and making money in the first place. So you get more resentful about the fact that this paperwork is building up and causing you a problem. Yeah, you become trapped. A lot of property investors I speak to, when they well, when they come to me, they say they feel trapped because they're so, you know, that it's taken so much of their time and they can't actually conceive the idea of going out and getting more property because this that that kind of monster is growing and growing and it's, it's strangling them. Yes, and I think one of the things that I think most of us realise is that we're probably very good at finding the property, but that may be their zone of genius, so to speak, but it's weird that so many property entrepreneurs then go, but I'm going to look after my properties. I'm going to be the lettings manager. I'm going to do all this because I'm a very capable person. You say, ah, but you know, these these are specialist fields in their own right. So you've got really two options. You either go, right, I'm going to put it all under management with another company. But of course, it's their job, but your responsibility. So you've still got to actually keep track of stuff. Or I'm going to do it all myself. Now, there are lots of products online now that do help people. And I know that, for instance, some of your staff are very good with Arthur Online. But again, it's a mindset thing, isn't it? Because Arthur Online, you don't just click your finger and, hey, presto, everything gets uploaded. What you put into it results in what you get out. So actually, if you're going down that avenue, that's a sort of small project that needs to be outsourced to people like you, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Self, self-managing, self-managing landlords, they start out like that because obviously, you know, you want to save costs at the moment. You're, you're charging X amount of rent. You want to keep your costs to a minimum. So, you know, you would do it yourself. But I think it gets to the point where... When you start to lose track is where you you do need to bring systems in. Now, obviously, you can manage get get uh, your whole portfolio managed by an agent, which kind of should technically leave it quite hands off. But who's looking after profit and loss on the whole, whole portfolio? There's still a lot of work involved in you know the correspondence with oh, fixing that. Can I fix that? Yes. Can I pay for that? Yes. So the other idea is obviously having it you know bringing it in house. But with support, so so this is kind of where we come in um, and give that middle solution, really. So it's it's kind of having a person rather than hiring someone, your own property manager, because that's obviously another solution is is to hire your in-house property manager. But obviously, you're paying for the, the costs associated with an employee, and even if it's part time, you've got to think, well, who's going to work a day, you know, an hour a day? <laughs> so there's still a, a financial commitment there, isn't it? As well as obviously tax and NI, etc. But think when it comes to something like Arthur, yeah, we do definitely do Arthur installs or Dupix or GoTenant or Landlord Studio or whatever, whatever is right for that client because there are so many. And that's very interesting because, of course, yeah, there are so many, aren't there? And you can't, again, that's almost, for someone who's very creative, you really got off that list already. I'm thinking, oh, I'm losing the will to live here. <laughs> well, we see, we see a lot of them, obviously, and there's more, you know. Um, and, and actually, one of the things that we we found is really helpful is is actually sometimes the client has an idea of what they want. So they might want, they've seen something, right, I want Arthur. But they're not, we just know that they're not that kind of person because Arthur is great. I mean, it's, it, 
it's got incredible functionality, but visually it might not be as, as stimulating as something else. And so the, and when the client is quite a visual person and not a very spreadsheet technical person, that they might get a bit exhausted by that. So we try and tailor the system to the person. This is we've learned this through experience where we've done installs yeah, and then they said, so. I don't like it, get rid of it. <laughs> Well, it, that, that's very interesting because that I don't think we take into account as entrepreneurs how we actually respond to things. And I know it's very easy to say when you're talking about mentoring that you've got to remember whether somebody gains information through the sight or hearing or, or, or touching, all those sorts of things. But actually, it really does make a huge difference as to how you run your company and how you deal with, as you say, something you, you have to do, but you can't necessarily bond with. Because if you go into a room of property entrepreneurs, there'll be those who just go, Excel spreadsheets, love them. <laughs> can't get enough of them. <laughs> Um, and there are others who have got the most amazingly coloured Trello boards and all the other things that wobble and do things. And it's just because they've got to interact with this bit of paper, this sort of kit, and they've got to know um, what basically they just tune into. Now, unfortunately, for most of us, we don't even know what's out there. So it's very reassuring to know that there is actually a bit somebody you could talk to that goes, yeah, but have you thought of this? Yeah, that's it. What I do is I see a lot of people getting really obsessed with, with tech and needing, you know, the most detailed Asana board or even, you know, spending money on, on subscriptions to do making, trying to make everything so systemized and the process very detailed. But I think it comes down to, you know, what works in your business? You know, what are your main problems you're trying to solve? So obviously you need some kind of structure but it doesn't have to be an all singing, all dancing system. I mean, Arthur Online is great, but some of my VAs prefer using spreadsheets with their clients, which sounds very old school, but it works. It, I mean, spreadsheets do work. As long as you've got the information recorded somewhere that's collaborative, the focus has to be on solving the problem. And, you know, and I've, I've had some clients in my time that, that really focus on the, the detailed process. So you'll spend the VA spending so much time on making sure that, you know, the, this email is color coded correctly and, and it's in this format, but the problems don't get solved. So you've got lots and lots of maintenance building up, but it's that is stifling it. So our focus is always get the problem solved, get the problem solved. And that's why you know, our team have got lots of experience. So they just know how to do it, get it done quickly. So that the tenants are happy, you know, they're not stressed, they don't want to move out. The communication is is flowing, um, the tenant experience is good. And I think that should always be the focus of a management side. I quite agree with you because I, you know, rent is the foundation of most property people's wealth. If they've got a portfolio, it's the rent that pays the mortgage and, and all the rest of it. And the problem is you don't go into building a portfolio realising that actually what you're doing is building a whole new job description. Mm -hmm. And you know, there's lots of things. So you've got to make sure that the money's actually arrived every month. Now, you know, we haven't actually mentioned that, but it is fundamental. Yet I come across so many landlords who've suddenly woken up one day and discovered that actually they're owed thousands of pounds. It's not unusual, is it? And so, you know, they, you've got to make sure you've got somebody doing that. And, you know, if 
the money isn't coming in, what are you going to do about it? So you've got, it's all a series of flow charts, isn't it? But unfortunately, if, whether you go yes or no on the flow chart, you're going to have an action you have to do. So you need somebody behind that. And one of the things I think very strongly is that we've got to make sure that a tenant who is in a property owned and run by you know an entrepreneur is not disadvantaged from someone whose house is actually looked after by a letting agency. Mm-hmm. And that's when I think most entrepreneurs of any description just forget that is actually terribly important. So you do need the person in the background who just spends her whole day going, we need to have a new boiler. How am I going to find it? How am I going to source it? Where am I going to send it to? And everything else. Mm -hmm. The likes of me, I I mean, you know, as I say, I'd rather go and stick pins in my eyes. So that whole side of the business, you people have got to really realise needs more than just fun and enthusiasm and oh my word isn't it wonderful being in property which is something I hear quite a lot to be quite honest. I think that enthusiasm weighs off though when you've got multiple multiple properties and you and you especially if you're self-managing and you don't have much support but yeah that enthusiasm needs to come back in again and the only way you can really do that is to is to have someone helping you with those quite you know potentially quite sort of irritating, stressful tasks and and handling the tenant communication. But going back to sort of saving the costs, I think, and and just not so much saving costs, but really focusing in on on where money is being left on the table, you know, arrears, for example, quite a lot of um, and you know, I've seen it with clients as well. They don't; they're not really hot on arrears. No, arrears get forgotten. Well, about. they might not notice for say a week because they might do their bookkeeping once a week. So you think, oh, I'm a week late. But if you're not on that arrear the same the next day at least, then then you're kind of teaching, you're training the tenants that that's acceptable to be late every every time. And I think I know that our team often have access to the bank feed you know and so we can see exactly what who's coming and who's paying so we know who's meant to pay today we can check it and be on it straight away and so much money can be you know collected through managing the arrears effectively um most people always think in terms of one property Mm -hmm. but you know we've just had a pandemic where i wasn't affected but i know that some people found that a third or more of their properties stopped paying but the mortgage payment goes on and you can't you know if you're going to scale and grow you can't then just turn around and go oh hello mortgage I'm going to have a holiday because the whole thing goes wrong, doesn't yes. it? So having someone or help to do the what looks like a really easy task. I mean, how difficult is it to open your bank account and look to see whether you've been paid? But it's all a time factor. And of course, we haven't even thought about the other bit that always worries me, which is GDPR and this whole concept of data. And I think most of us, when we enter into property, don't realise that we're, we're going to actually drown in other people's data sooner or later. And this, we've got to do something with it, but we'd rather not because actually that's not what we like doing. So again, as you say, it's something that having somebody else to do the stuff that are trained in, say, property areas is really, really useful. Because, I mean, how much data can you keep on a person and how long can you keep it for? And how many years do you go back? Whereas I know that you, some of your VAs, for instance, have been estate agents. Yeah. That must be really, really helpful mindset and understanding the bigger picture. Yeah, it is because they've worked in, in agency. Some of them have, have been branch managers. So they've, they've trained staff. They know how to run kind of a large, well, a large amount of landlords and properties. Um, 
and obviously, you know, to do with GDPR as well. I mean, there's there's oh, GDPR didn't come in for when when some people were building their property. And I mean, I remember not long ago I went to a council meeting for landlords, and GDPR came up. And the council officer stood up and said, well, do you have a computer? Well, which I thought was a hilarious thing to say to start off with. And it was a sort of elderly gentleman, obviously been a landlord for years. And he said, no, I operate out of a cardboard box, paper files. And he went, don't worry, it doesn't apply to you then. Oh, well, yeah. (laughs) I'm not sure that's correct. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it isn't correct. No, we had to go in afterwards. And we went and said, are you sure that, you know, and an amendment went out with the minutes. But that is the kind of thing is that somebody who's been, say, even 10 years ago, you may have come into property. You've now probably got quite a sizable portfolio. You are managing it very well. I think in some ways that you always, ever so often you need to go and get a project underway with someone who understands letting and everything else, just to make sure you're d- still doing it right. Yeah, keeping up with legislation is so important. I mean, legislation is changing so often. I'm, I'm not all of our team, but but a lot of them are are uh, property mark qualified up to level four. Um, and I'm actually doing the level three qualification myself at the moment because it, it you know things change, and you need to be you need to know what's going on in the industry because you need to be able to work with clients and, and you know undertake the right practices. Can you just expand a bit on property mark? Because um, you know this is another problem. Of course, we are an unregulated industry, but I can see there's going to become a time when more and more of this legislation will come through. I mean, in America, you have to be examined up to the eyeballs, don't you, to deal in, in real estate, as they call it? Yeah, well, it's coming. It's coming. I mean, it's, it's proposed that there is a regulation on agents that they should all be regulated in terms of with ALA property mark up to, I think, up to level four. And then the directors of the agencies up to, sorry, up to level three, and then the directors of the agencies up to level four. That's been proposed. So that would be a big shake-up of, of the industry, for sure. I mean, lots of letting agents. Well, that's, that, that's going to stop the I'll look after your property for you kind of activity, won't it? Well, yes, because a lot of a lot of agents, you know, they take on they take on people, they take on staff at very, kind of a low rate per hour and they're not qualified. So you've got a lot of newbies, they train them up obviously, well, sometimes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, that, yes, yeah. That there's there's no guarantee of that. <laughs> no, no, but I think it's a good thing that, that there is going to be some regulation in the industry for sure. I mean, you've got regulation around deposits, around, you know, lettings legislation. So I think it's, I don't think it's completely unregulated. There are elements that are, you know, compared with Barcelona, where I live in the Indian and the lettings industry here. I mean, it's, it's a bit like the Wild West, to be honest. So I'm always quite shocked. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you have, you have laws around deposits, but no one sticks to them. Whereas in the UK, the Marathon, it, it feels very regulated, actually. But I think it's, Again, going back to the you know people that are either self-managing or even with with agents, it's always important to know for yourself that you have every bit of legislation correct, and not always put it in the hands of, of the agent. For example, you know, no, get have copies of your ASTs. Make sure that you've got copies of everything. Make sure that you know when your gas safety is is difficult, is running out, and don't rely on the agent to tell you. So there's a responsibility that comes with having a property portfolio and having tenants. You know, and the repercussions of missing these things could potentially be huge. And we're not talking just fines. You know, you're talking 
like people could actually die from if your if your boiler has has carbon monoxide leak, for example. Sounds extreme, but that's why these regulations. Are in oh, it place. does happen. Yeah. Absolutely. And yes. So it's so important to just make sure that that kind of thing is is being tracked and and making you've got reminders set up. Yeah. So as we've been talking about this, it is very clear that most of us don't realise that there are that there's so much more to than just making your fortune in property. The moment you start to realise that you're going to build a portfolio, because not everyone starts off buying for themselves. You know, I have a lot of clients who flip first to make a war chest, so to speak, so they can then really get going. But if you're going to continue doing that, you've got to see the whole rental side as almost a secondary division that needs its own staff. You can't just go on relying on the brain and mindset that, that got you going. And so therefore, I think that more and more of, well, people like me, for instance, will be going, actually, I don't want to have anything to do with my rental properties. Yes, I, I actually have them all out at agency anyway, but I don't always trust them. And that is the thing. And I think more and more of us will realise that, yes, we've got a, a, you know probably four or five agencies if you've got lots of properties scattered about the country. But you need that one person who may only work for half a day in your business a week, but that one person just to bring it all together and then say to you, uh, you've got a problem here, you need to sort it out, rather than me always constantly looking at the emails going, what's coming in now from my tenants? Yeah, having, having that buffer between you and the agents is really helpful. So... That's some, we have some clients that have fully let, fully managed portfolios, but we we provide that support where you know we're watching, we're, we're checking up on the agents, which means it sounds a bit sort of you know big brother, but just making sure those rental state income statements are coming through and they're just you know decipherable, just checking that everything. Oh, that decipherable! I'm so glad you said that because everyone it appears more and more agents at the moment are starting to use new off the peg software, which seem to have no information on them at all. Lots of graphics. It all looks amazing, but it doesn't tell you when the tenant paid and it doesn't tell you all sorts of things. And I've got one agent who doesn't even number their statements. So you've got to work out when it was that this this thing happened, which is not helpful for when you're trying to keep very efficient, up-to-date books, which is what you absolutely need to do. So I think what we're saying is that VAs must be seen as slightly more important than the normal idea, which is it's someone sitting, as you say, overseas somewhere on a very low wage because they've come off Fiverr or something like that, where you just throw a bone at them. They give the information and possibly don't do anything with. Uh, So in order to get the best income or sort of outcome for what you're going to spend because you know you need to get good quality information you do need to pay because you need good quality people how do you tell people to decide what what it is they need their VA to do have they got to just throw ring you up or or a company like you and go help and you come in and sort things out or do you ask them to go what is your problem because they may not know <laughs> <laughs> Well, they normally, I mean, if they're approaching me, they're obviously thinking, right, it's time, it's time. They've probably put it off for a while, but they've finally booked a discovery call. I think it comes down to a few things. I think it comes down to cash flow. As much as I know that we can transform a business, if there's not the cash flow there or the income there, then, then you're, you know, you're generally probably the portfolio is not big enough to, to warrant having support at our level. I think it also, what kind of person are you in your business? You know, if you're super organized and you've already got, you know, lists and lists of tasks and processes, then perhaps an overseas assistant, you know, would be good too, because they they very much need direction and guidance and a lot of checking in. And obviously, 
hand-holding because there's no industry experience at all. So you're, you know, completely starting from scratch. So, yeah, it's income. It's the need. You know, what level of, of support do you need? You know, are you looking for someone to completely transform your operation and advise you almost with experience um, as on a sort of consultant level? I mean, that's something else that we offer is, is online business management where we come in and help turn around the operations, hire teams, look at strategy, look at processes. So it, I ask, what state are you in? What are your main challenges? Um, and then I try and slot in the resources there. It could be bookkeeping. It could be, oh my God, my files are a complete mess and I don't know where anything is. It could be, well, I've got lots of agents, but I don't know how to manage them. Or, you know, it could also be on the de- development side. So that's another area that we can support with, you know, deal analysis, conveyancing side of things. Yes, yeah, so it really is. People have got to start realising that in order to scale, because it's all very easy to do all of that, if you've only got one or two buildings and you've only got one or two deals going on a year. But once you're starting to scale and you've got six or seven things going on at once and then behind the scenes you've then got your portfolio, that's when you've got to realise that in some way, shape or form, you need help and you shouldn't be embarrassed about it. There is a degree of sort of how difficult can a piece of paper be kind of attitude. But of course, this is, as we started off saying, this is a profession for some people. Um, And therefore, it should be in the budget and you should be quite happy to go, actually, somebody else does that for me. It's no different from, I know that my, for instance, my car has got an engine under the bonnet. Don't know, never dealt with it. I mean, (laughs) you know, somebody else always opens the bonnet and pokes about there. But, you know, it is the engine room, the paperwork and how you approach everything is the engine room of your business. And we've got to try and make more people realise that that's where they're going to make or break. There's a lot of fear, I think, around letting go, whether it's fear, it's a control thing. Um, it's a trust thing. It's trusting that someone else can can take over something that's really important to you and that is your income. And, and do a good job. Um, and I think... Yes, it's their baby. Yeah, exactly. It's handing over your baby to someone else. So, you know, how how comfortable are you handing over those parts of the business to someone else, whether that's, you know, someone in the Philippines, someone in the UK, comes down to your level of comfort with that and your ability to, to delegate. I think that one of the things that really can stifle um, a, a VA client relationship is, is not not handing over, not opening up, and not trusting because when from experience when a client opens up everything to us you know and I'm including their zero you know all obviously the tenancy information their files their folders we can really do our best work because we can just go right okay let's just sort all of this out when you're drip feeding it's really hard to make an impact and have a really you know really good go of sorting out a client's business really um, so you end up becoming very task-based and that's that's not really where, where you're getting the value, I find. You know, you might as well use someone who sees if you're very you're drip feeding very small controlled tasks. It's like let go, open up, trust. And I find that with the UK VAs, um, especially with experience, they've got an online presence. A lot of the a lot of my team have their own clients too, not all of them. Some of them just work with our clients. Um, but they've got years of experience, they've got online profiles. There's more, you can build more trust there when you know who's behind the phone or behind the Zoom call. 
<laughs> Absolutely. And, and that is a very much a thing that entrepreneurs have got to get used to is that they've got to trust. And if they don't want to build an empire and have the person sitting in their office or their kitchen, then they're going to have to go down the line of VAs. And they should just be really thankful that there are actually people out there who will do all this stuff and can make it absolutely work. Because otherwise, you grind to a halt because you've only got 24 hours in the day and there's only so much that you can actually do. That makes a huge difference to you, doesn't True. it? True. And I think, you know, going back to, you know, how VAs work and, you know, what, what is a VA? Obviously, you know, when you're looking for a virtual assistant, you've got the Filipino option, you've got the UK option. It can be very hard to find someone and spend the time to actually find someone that really fits what you need. And I think that's also why a lot of people put the decision off because I think, well, I don't know how to find someone, you know, going and finding a Filipino thing sounds, oh, I don't know. They might they might even put sort of an ad up somewhere and they just get inundated with, with oh, yes. well, I yeah. can't deal with it. <laughs> and so obviously you've got a recruitment, you know, the time spent on recruitment there. And, and I know that a lot of our clients have said to us that working with us has been great because I, I do that work for them. So I meet the client face-to-face as in on Zoom for half an hour. And I can tell the best match person in my team. We have uh, 15 virtual assistants at the moment and, and always recruiting for more. So I can match. It, it's not just skills and experience, but it's personality as well. You're just going to, I can tell who is going to be the best fit, which saves the client loads of time. Yes. And one of the things that when we first met, because we'd been introduced by our, our mutual friend, Susie Cole, one of the things that amazed me is that you have an understanding of the property market because, of course, you're the co-founder of you know, an office in, in a, what, what do you call it? It's an office in a container. In containers, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a really fabulous idea. So the other thing, of course, is that people get frightened about going to companies or asking for help from people who they think don't understand their situation. But there are so many of us out there who are in property, but we have second sort of ideas that we then bring through because we can see there's a niche in the market. And that's really when I realised you clearly had uh, an interest because it's it's not an unsmall project, this <laughs> Bristol-based container office idea, is it? No, it was great. I think it really gave me an insight into how the operations could struggle if you're not collaborative, you know, you're not organised. I mean, we we built the project. We started it, I think, gosh, 2017, um, 2018. I can't remember now exactly. But basically, my my the guy I'd worked with for many years had the land and, and the site down in Bristol. And we talked for years about shipping containers. Both of us have been fascinated with them. So we said, right, let's do it. He had a, he had a big... I, I'm so glad you said that because so am I. <laughs> What is it about them? It's like, can you do with these containers? So, so he had a a, um, an, a, a sui generi block, which is kind of the tenants had left, and massive car park. So we put fourteen containers in the car park, double stacked them, um, and then converted them into little offices with sort of a kitchen as well, and a you know a communal pod for meetings, and obviously a toilet block. And converted the the sui generi building as well into offices. So I helped very much with the design and the concept around that and, and Podville, the container block. So from that, I obviously got my hands dirty. Um, you know, I'd done a couple of property things personally myself. Um, I'd spent a couple of years working for a London resident, residential developer, um, having to go on site and report to investors because I was investor relations manager. So, oh my word, that, that's a story in yeah, itself, isn't it? <laughs> story in itself. 
Um, so I think I've got a good grasp of, of like hands-on property. And I think also, you know, from running that business, like I said, you know, making sure, keeping track of uh, purchases and suppliers and trades of people and, and, and seeing how easy it is for things to just get lost in your email or, you know, seeing people saying, you know, what, what's this? What should I do here? I really saw the need for like a collaborative system, a much better organised system. And, and that's kind of where the virtual system idea evolved, actually, thinking there must be a better way. <laughs> Absolutely. And you were based in the UK at that point. And as you you were, and then you fell in love with a, an Englishman or a Spaniard. How did you end up in Barcelona? Englishman, yeah. My, my partner, we've known each other for a long time as friends and then, he moved to Barcelona and we kept in touch and then we sort of got together and I thought, right, well, obviously a couple of years in, I, I want to move there. So at that point we had Podville, it was starting to be let and I thought, well, I don't know how I'm going to do that from Barcelona. So I handed over the management lettings of that and obviously set up as a VA, came to Barcelona and for the first, I think, nine months I was doing direct-to-client work. So I had a couple of clients. I, I got, you know, full-time really quickly thanks to my network so important networks. So important. I know, I know. I'd spent so so many years networking in London that I've made some great contacts. Um, and I worked with a fantastic property investor who really helped show me around processes and structure. So I learned a lot from them and obviously took that knowledge into growing my team, growing my client base. And now I just manage my team, operations, obviously new business, doing podcasts. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, the team, the team are all much more organised and focused than I, I think I was as a virtual assistant. And so that's why I can see how you know, I can spot a really good one. <laughs> Absolutely. But that that is roughly, I mean, I think that is the story of most property solopreneurs, isn't it? You start off and then you find what you're good at and you scale that because it's not necessarily the thing that you came in to do because you may not have known the full picture. Yeah, that's correct. Well, thank you so much for, you know, getting up this morning and, and uh, recording this for with us, because I, I think it is something that more people want to know. And more of us, I think, to make the big amounts of money that everyone wants to, because hardly anyone ever wants just one little single by to let. Uh, they will now, I think, having heard this, realise what they can do and where they need to start and why they need to do it in the first place and just get out of that overwhelm. There is someone out there who can help you. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Well, thank you, Jane, for sharing so much information about what a property VA will really do to your property business. And I think that's one of the reasons we heard that it's so important is all us property peeps, we enter at the same point in property. We know that property investment is absolutely key to financial security, but we may just be focusing on the developing and flipping and how to do the property bit properly, how to find the investment and how to find and nurture JV and investment partners. But of course, for those of us who buy assets, and that always brings a long-term wealth, we also need to learn how to hold and run a portfolio profitably and legally. And it may not be what you went into property for. So outsource that. And of course, I think we all forget that it is far better to outsource and be a jack of all trades and do not so well in some areas because that will serious damage our wealth. But I think it's all too easy if you haven't been in property long to not fully understand why this stuff about the back areas is so important. Because honestly, 
it doesn't seem like 20 years ago since I started, but it is. And it's all too easy to lose sight of what you did in those early years. Well, actually, even five years ago, if you're somebody who's really ramping through those flips and adding lots and lots of properties to your portfolio. Now, I hold my hand up here. As a family, we found we had a property that we forgot we owned. It had been bought 70 years ago and it had only been lived in by one tenant and absolutely nothing had ever happened. So it was never a problem. But we'd forgotten how we owned it. And in fact, where indeed the deeds were, it was all settled now. But if you're sitting there thinking that is outrageous, that cannot be true. And it certainly won't happen in today's society. Oh, yes, it does. I can't tell you the number of times that I've spotted a wonderful little development house and I've found out who the owner is. I've sent them a letter saying I'd be happy to buy for cash, etc, etc. Only get a reply saying, thank you for telling me I owned that house. I'd forgotten because when you've got 100, 200 houses, the odd one or two do slip under the radar and completely be forgotten about. And the other thing is rent. If you've got a portfolio, you do, as we mentioned, need to keep on top of it. Because let's not get complacent. Even low rent areas such as Stoke-on-Trent can add up if you don't get on top of those arrears. I had a client who worked at Stoke-on-Trent, um, one property with an income of £500. No, it's not huge rent, is it? But it took him over a year to realise that he hadn't had any rent from this particular client, a tenant. And it took him a couple of months more with sort of going backwards and forwards to the agent to work out what was going on and then to get, you know, the whole process of Section 21 underway. By the time the tenant moved out, he'd lost 10 grand and he was not, he's just not going to be able to get that back. The tenant is on benefits. That's £10,000 gone because he didn't have somebody who was perhaps working in his business for half a day a week. If he'd bothered to have a system in place, he might have lost one or two months, but not £10,000. Now, soapbox warning here. Letting agents do go under, or they may have a member of staff who, shall we say, is less than honest. And to be blunt, maybe siphoning off your rents. And we all know that I've actually had two letting agents try and steal my rents. I took one to court. I didn't get a single penny back from taking that letting agent to court. They did have a nervous breakdown. And as far as I know, they've never worked again. And I was part of a class action against this particular agent. It was nothing about me. So that was all very interesting. And the other agent has now paid me back every penny they owed me. But it took eight years of a lot of aggression and stress. So it's not easy. And it is easy to lose sight of what happens in a portfolio when you really, really start to scale. And that, frankly, that's what we all want to do, isn't it? So if you're someone who loves the property chase, the buying, the doing up, the selling and the refinancing, but the rest of you leaves you absolutely cold, then getting a qualified VA to do the backroom stuff is absolutely crucial. It's tax deductible. And if you can't afford it, then start putting money aside so that you can afford it as quickly as possible, because it will make a huge difference to you. So if you've got the front end of your business working well, and you've got the back end via someone like a VA that you've outsourced to working brilliantly, then you're going to be a really, really successful property solopreneur. Thank you for listening to the Property Solopreneur podcast with Rachel Troughton. If you want to create a professional and profitable property business, download my property business checklist now at racheltroughton.com slash checklist.
If you found my stories inspiring and my content useful, then come find out more about my mentoring and strategy sessions by going to www.rachelfrouton.com and book a discovery call with me. The banner link is on every page. Come and create and grow your own property business. That's the shortcut to success.